You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. Welcome to our Living for the Batman series. Amidst an ever-expanding world of cinematic superheroes, the character of Batman remains one of the most iconic. The first comic book version of the Batman Bruce Wayne persona was first created for the page by Bill Finger and Bob Kane in 1940. And since the late 1960s, this character has been represented at the movies in various live-action and animated incarnations by at least seven different actors. Once a month over the next four months, I will be revisiting one movie featuring a different actor playing the Cape Crusader leading up to the U.S. release of The Batman on March 4th, this time starring Robert Pattinson in the title role. The film is Batman Returns, which came out in 1992 and was directed by Tim Burton. I've been down here too long. It's time for me to ascend. From the sewers of Gotham, a new villain emerges. You didn't invite me, so I crashed! From the rooftops of Gotham, the perfect enemy comes to life. save this city is a creature of the night above Gotham looms its greatest hero it stars Michael Keaton Michelle Pfeiffer Danny DeVito Christopher Walken Michael Goff Michael Murphy and Andrew Bynarski the genre would be Bizarre film featuring superheroes. (laughs) Batman Returns is that rare duck of a movie which has no shortage of great stuff. Performances, dialogue, production design, score, and yet barely enough story to qualify as great all around. Story itself was clearly a secondary concern of Tim Burton's when he directed this. And if he wanted to devote so much time to character flourishes, big and or weird, I really can't blame him for not being able to hang it all together within a cohesive story. I have seen this film probably now a couple of dozen times, and could I provide you with a coherent through-line of the hows and whys of Oswald Cobblepot's actual plan? Oswald Cobblepot, otherwise known as the Penguin, of course. Probably not, but I still cannot take my eyes off of Danny DeVito in that role. He's funny, sympathetic, and grotesque all at once. I believe the word you're looking for is... This is all just a bad dream. You're at home in bed, heavily sedated, resting comfortably, dying from the carcinogens you've personally spewed in a lifetime of profiteering. Tragic irony or poetic justice? You tell me. Hard as it may seem, Max. 
You and I have something in common. We're both perceived as monsters. But somehow, you're a well-respected monster. And I am, to date, not. Even more so Michelle Pfeiffer, who gives an iconic, a word I do not take lightly, performance as Selena Kyle. Yes, as a 17-year-old male first seeing this, her costume certainly played a part in my appreciation of the performance. She has her witty lines and her sexy acrobatics too. But oozing throughout her performance is genuine anger and vitriol. Pfeiffer doesn't just play her as a brooding, loner antihero. More like a balls-out, pun intended, 90s feminist Tyler Durden, who is relishing the chance to finally give everyone around her the finger and wants to be her own independent person for the first time in her life. I just love a big, strong man who's not afraid to show it with someone half his size. Be gentle, it's my first time. Thanks, I You make it so easy, don't you? Always waiting for some bad man to save you. I am Catwoman. Hear me roar. Except that she's struggling to do so with Bruce Wayne, of course. Oh, right. This is still technically a Batman movie, right? Well, yes, it is. And the titular character is almost treated as an afterthought for the second movie in a row. Batman 89 was actually even guiltier of this. But I say almost because despite his somewhat limited screen time, Michael Keaton is really making the most of this character. Characters. His scenes with Pfeiffer both as Batman and Bruce Wayne, are the highlights. They have great chemistry, and the fight choreography is surprisingly strong considering how much it has to compete with so many other visual distractions surrounding it. Keaton's really having fun with this character, but is also more than up to the task whenever a big moment calls for him to be serious. Why are you doing this? Let's just take him to the police. Then we can go home. Selena, don't you see? We're the same. We're the same. Split right down the center. He's really playing up the duality of this character. When he's out of the cape and cowl as Bruce Wayne, Keaton really shines the most as he's able to really use those arch eyebrows of his. He has great eyebrows to really sell the craziness of what this character is experiencing. He's so good in this that it's still kind of disappointing in retrospect that Keaton walked away from this character after this movie. This movie is just so many disparate things. Leather fetish fantasy, corporate satire, Christmas movie, feminist revenge story, bat sequel, political comedy. Really, I'm not kidding that I can't fault anyone for considering it to be a genuine mess. But to me, it's Tim Burton's best film. It's Michelle Pfeiffer's best performance, and it's probably the second best Batman movie overall, after Batman Begins, albeit with barely enough Batman. And that brings us to the categories. The first category is actually something unique that we are doing for our Living for the Batman series. That would be the best bat bit. This series has so many elements which carry over through various incarnations of the Caped Crusader. 
Theme music, Batmobile, villain, Alfred, and even visual gags involving the bat symbol. And this award goes to the one thing that stands out the most for this particular entry in Batman film canon. Within the first 10 minutes, there is a very memorable sequence when we hear Commissioner Gordon request that the bat signal be sent. Gotham's in trouble. We first see the large bat signal light up over the Gotham sky. And then we see a series of smaller bat signal lights going off all over the roof of Wayne Manor, which culminates in the signal lighting up his own living room, and we see Keaton standing up right in front of it, looking determined to save Gotham. It is just such an iconic image. And yet, of course, this begs the question, would no visitors to Wayne Manor ever notice all these little mini bat signals on the roof during the day? Regardless, this is a signature Batman moment, and Keaton really sells it. The next category would be Best Needle Drop. Actually, Best Needle Drops. There's a lot to choose from. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film, especially Batman films. There's just too many to choose from, so I'm going to spread the wealth a little bit with this category. Danny Elfman's rambunctious score for the first film in 1989 was probably the best aspect of that movie, and gratefully he returns for the sequel. And with him, he brings back that rousing bat theme featuring thunderous horns and strings. We hear this theme over the opening credits and in snippets throughout the movie. It's truly a top-flight orchestral score from Elfman, and he also adds some new themes, of course. My favorite being for, yep, you guessed it, Selena Kyle's transformation into Catwoman. This music is featured during an intense sequence of Selena ransacking her apartment, smashing a dollhouse, spray-painting pink-stuffed animals, basically destroying everything that reminds her of once being a helpless little girl. This music features a building mixture of violins, bass notes on piano, some horns, and even xylophone into something that crescendos into a theme that's both haunting and playful. It's just gorgeous music for a standout sequence. And as if Elfman's contributions weren't enough, we also have a lush, soothing, and sexy goth ballad from the legendary British group Susie and the Banshees, which formed in the mid-70s and had a glorious 20-year run as one of the more influential female-led rock bands. If, like myself, you came of age during the 80s or 90s and had even a brief, just a brief, goth phase, and I mean really brief in my case, then listening to the sharp vocals of Susan Janet Ballion, otherwise known professionally as Susie Sue, had to be literal catnip, pun intended. The ballad is called Face to Face, and we hear it over the end credits and during a very critical moment late in the movie. Seriously, during a time when movie soundtracks were just dominating the charts with big ballads, 
from the likes of Whitney Houston, Brian Adams, and Boys to Men, this remains one of the more underrated cinematic love themes of the 90s. Face to face, no telling lies, the And that brings me to the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Speaking of that critical moment I just referred to, well, it's a doozy. And I would even venture to say that it's the most cinematic moment included in any movie featuring Batman. Here's the setup. Batman and Catwoman have had a few dust-ups around the rooftops of Gotham City, while Bruce Wayne has struck up a romance with Selina Kyle. And of course... Neither of them is aware that the other is moonlighting as a superhero slash villain, even though they have interacted both inside and outside of their costumes. This all culminates in a moment when they meet each other at a masquerade ball being held by Max Schreck, played by Christopher Walken. A masquerade ball where, amazingly, they are the only two people on the dance floor not wearing costumes or masks. Hmm. And this is, of course, just one of many reasons why this is, in fact, a Christmas movie. Mistletoe plays a critical part in their relationship. One moment early on in the movie, when they are fighting on a high-rise patio in Gotham, Catwoman suddenly has Batman pinned down on the floor, and she notices Mistletoe hanging up above them. She then utters in her cat voice, Mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. A kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. We'll now cut back to an hour later in the movie. They're at the ball, dancing with each other, when guess what Selena notices right above them? Just playing the audio of this moment doesn't really do it justice, even though the dialogue is both morbid and touching. Oh, a kiss under the mistletoe. You know, mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. A kiss can be even deadly. Does this mean we have to start fighting? But to then see the looks on each actor's face during that key moment of realization is just an indelible piece of cinema which transcends being about comic book characters. The sets, the costumes, the music playing, of course, all combine for a moment that's both tragic and funny. That brings me to the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. We're actually going to go in the opposite direction for a change with this category, as this film is actually the rare instance when we see an excess of talent filling the screen at all moments. Literally from screenwriter Daniel Waters' batshit dialogue, batshit pun intended, <laughs> to the crazy Baroque Christmas production design from Bo Welch, to one of the earliest examples of Christopher Walken just chewing the scenery and just going full Walken as villainous industrialist Max Schreck. It feels at times as if everyone in front of and behind the camera is just really letting their freak flag fly. Point is, Max, Gotham City has a power surplus. I'm sure you know that. 
My question is, what's your angle? Power surplus, Bruce. Shame on you. No such thing. One can never have too much power. If my life has a meaning, that's the meaning. Yeah, well, I'm going to fight you on this. I've already spoken to the mayor, and we see eye to eye. Mayors come and go. Blue bloods tire easy. You think he could go 15 rounds with Mohammed Shrek? Well, I guess we're going to find out. Of course, I don't have a crime boss like Cobblepot in my corner, so it might... Crime boss? Shows what you know, mister. To the manor born with a silver spoon. Oswald is Gotham's new golden boy. If his parents hadn't 86 him, you two might have been bunkies at prep school. Literally no talent is wasted. Not even Keaton as Bruce Wayne Batman, even though he's really more part of an ensemble in a movie that actually has Batman in the title. And that brings me to the final category, which would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this movie. Now, even though I personally consider this to be Tim Burton's best movie overall, or at least my personal favorite of his filmography, his direction is flawed at times. Like I said, this is kind of a messy movie. Whereas Pfeiffer's performance as Selena Kyle is unassailable. There's more to her than just skin-tight vinyl and a whip. This is a flawed, troubled character with a satisfying arc, though not exactly one which is hopeful. And Pfeiffer just plays every note just perfectly. Her character is actually the true star of this movie, even though it has Batman in the title. And for that reason, Pfeiffer is your MVP. Did you injure yourself on that ski slope? Is that why you cut short your vacation, came back? You know, it's a blur. I, I mean, not complete amnesia. I, I, I remember Sister Mary Margaret puking in church and Betsy Riley saying it was morning sickness. And I remember the time I forgot to wear my underpants to school. And the name of the boy who noticed was Ricky Friedberg. He's dead now. But last night, Complete blur. Couldn't you just die? My rating for Batman Returns would be four and a half stars out of five. Look, I get that Batman Returns is just not for everyone. I remember first seeing it in theaters, and even though I ate it up completely, I was clearly in the minority. This was a film that divided fans and audiences. It was just considered so weirdly gruesome and perverted that a huge backlash resulted when it came out. After complaints from parents' groups at the time, even McDonald's pulled their Batman Returns promotional items from restaurants. But for me, it remains one of the most compelling comic book movie adaptations ever made. And I really appreciate the freaky turns that this movie takes. If you're looking for some genuine superhero Christmas weirdness, you really won't find anything else like it. And if you're looking to find out where and when Batman Returns, it's currently streaming on HBO Max. And that ends another dichotomous review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.